0: Welcome to Why I Hate Your Podcast. These days, there are a lot of podcasts to choose from. This is another one. I'm Crystal, and each week my brother Sean and I meet up to talk about two podcasts and why we hate them or don't. Join us, and we might help you find your new favorite podcast or save you from wasting time on a podcast you might hate. This week, we are tackling our first sports podcast. We are going to be talking about the Dale Jr. Download, which is, I'm pretty confident, I think I can say it's probably the most popular NASCAR-related podcast, and it's hosted by, obviously, Dale Earnhardt Jr. and co-host Mike Davis, who is his longtime friend I think his original job was he was kind of Junior's uh, PR guy. And then they have a couple of other kind of production people involved that also chime in on the podcast. I think Leah and then uh, there's another guy. I can't remember his name. But anyway, the main hosts are Dale Jr. and Mike Davis. And the overall concept is they publish an episode every week. Uh, during the NASCAR season, sometimes they go they do a few episodes after the season ends and sometimes they start it. I think they start their season like a week or two before as things are ramping up before the season begins before the Daytona 500. The official description of it is NASCAR's 15 time most popular driver and winner of two Daytona 500s Dale and Hart Jr. hosts his very own podcast. The Dale Jr. Download on Dirty Mo Media. Earnhardt and co-host Mike Davis raised the bar with unparalleled perspective, candid commentary, and fascinating first-person insight into the life of a broadcaster and celebrated racer. So it's pretty basic. They talk, about NASCAR, talk all things NASCAR, um, but really it's kind of evolved over time into an interview show. So the main kind of chunk of the show is an interview, usually, with other NASCAR drivers, people involved with NASCAR, Uh, People who are former NASCAR drivers, you know, they could be somebody tangentially related to NASCAR. But yeah, so it's a sports podcast. They do obviously talk about kind of current races and current events in NASCAR as well. I don't have a lot of familiarity with sports podcasts, I'm going to be honest. This is the only one I've ever listened to. And I've been listening kind of on and off. I don't listen to every episode religiously, but I listen to a lot of them um, for a while. I, you know, confession, I'm a NASCAR fan. I have been for many years. And... Dale Jr. was my favorite driver, so when I found out he had a podcast, I had to check it out. But I know you are not a NASCAR fan, and you're not really a sports person either. I'm not much of one. So I had to know what you thought about this, because coming in cold as somebody who's not interested in NASCAR, I'm going to guess this was uh, a bit of a challenge.
1: (laughs) Uh, Well, technically, this would be our second sports podcast, at least in spirit, because I think Zapped was... Advertises itself as a sports podcast, oh. um, so I just had to want to correct you there.
0: <laughs> uh, but I still maintain this is our first sports podcast. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, I agree because they didn't talk a lot of sports on there. But anyways, I don't have like anything against NASCAR per se, and I, I do find it somewhat. I don't hate it, and I, I do find it a little interesting. It's just not a sport I follow or know a lot of like the technicalities behind it uh I do know it's more than just drivers driving in a ring I know there's a lot more to it than just that one of the things that that caught my attention was the fact that it's been a podcast for a very long time it's like eight years it and I looked and it looks like he had started the podcast while he was still racing um yes so I think that probably would be very interesting to hear like those early episodes while he was still racing about the podcast because I'm assuming he'll talk about the races and kind of give you maybe some of the background of like what was happening during the race and stuff like that, which that probably would be more interesting to me uh, than the stuff now, which is like, I guess he's more of a commentator about the sport than anything else, because I believe he is retired, correct?
0: Yes, he's retired and he's now a broadcaster for NBC, for NASCAR.
1: Okay, so I I, technically there's not a lot of things to dislike about the podcast. The the intro was short. Uh, I mean, there was some preamble, but it seemed really kind of on point or it felt kind of natural or they, it seemed like they were talking mostly about racing or stuff, you know, somewhat related to racing. To be honest, he sounds very comfortable on the mic. I haven't really, like I said, I haven't gone back and listened to a lot of earlier episodes, but he, he sounds like it sounds like a really well produced like radio program, if you will. And one of the things it, that I noticed was that the production value is actually really high, uh, which I appreciate. And again, it's a podcast that's been running for eight years, I would assume the production quality would be good. The episode I listened to, because I only listened to one episode, and you're right, it, it was it was a little hard because I I, I just don't know a lot about NASCAR, and so it was a lot of foreign talk. And thankfully you kinda gave me a a list of acronyms that they may use commonly and stuff like that, which that that did help, so I appreciated that. You kinda gave me the best chance I could have potentially <laughs> yeah. had. But the episode was actually really interesting, because he was talking to Larry McReynolds about the ninety eight Daytona five hundred, and I didn't write it down in my notes. Was that the one where his father died at the Daytona 500?
0: No, it's the one where his father finally won the 500. Oh, okay. He'd won every other possible race you could win, basically. And he even at Daytona, he'd won the July race. He'd won all the other kind of pre-races they have, the Clash, things like that. He'd won everything except the 500. and This was late in his career because he died right. in 2001. But this okay. is the year he finally won.
1: Okay, because, I mean, it's been a couple of weeks since uh, I listened to this episode because we're, you know, our recording schedules, but... But it was really interesting because he had Larry McReynolds on, and they were just kind of reminiscing. And it just kind of felt like two guys who were just reminiscing about the old days of the sport.
2: But mm-hmm. but over the offseason, we, we still had some energy. We still were optimistic. And I think a lot what was giving us a lot of optimism, maybe we were hanging our hat on one thing too many, was this car that was built to go to speed weeks in 1998. We built that car during the summer of 1997. That car had been in the wind tunnel and had been to Talladega and tested with Marcus and Mike Dillon, probably been to the wind tunnel three or four times and been tested at Talladega two or three times for your dad ever even laid eyes on it. I mean, I remember leaving Michigan in August of 97 and going straight to Detroit, we had that car in the wind tunnel. and. Wind we tunnels um, were only in, in Detroit. 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 I mean, they or, didn't have them down here. No, De- De- <laughs> Detroit or Atlanta. Yeah. It's, that was wow. your only choice. We almost cut the body off that car after the first trip to the wind tunnel, which I'm very glad we didn't because it, it, was, it was mysterious. It, it, the drag on the car was not that good. But when you yawed the car in the wind tunnel, the drag didn't go up. And that backed up exactly what Marcus told us the first time he tested it. He said he's going to love this car. He said, when you go off in the corner and turn, and the data backed it up and you turn the steering wheel, the damn thing don't lose RPM. We don't know why. We couldn't, we couldn't duplicate cars. You know, back then we put quarter panels and fenders on by – that's good right there. <laughs> yeah. Nail it. As long as it fits a template, nail it. And uh, when we went to Daytona and tested that thing in January – I can still see that Chester Cat grin the first time he drove it. He said, this thing's good.
1: And that was actually really interesting to me. I I actually appreciated that. So it wasn't like as dry as I expected it to be, or I wasn't as disinterested as I thought it would be. And again, a lot of stuff, I don't know exactly what they're talking about, but it was entertaining though. And I could see if somebody who was really into NASCAR would probably really, really appreciate it.
0: I find that... And it's funny you say how comfortable he is. When when he first started this podcast, now I didn't start listening at the very beginning, but it was much earlier on. They were producing it in a little tiny room in uh at his shop, because it, it's it's recorded on location at Junior Motorsports, which is his race team. And it was like this little closet room. And they would post, I believe they would post the videos to YouTube, if I remember correctly, or might have been to the Dirty Mo Media website. And Junior was not, he was pretty awkward. And and that kind of was true. In terms of any interaction with the media when he was racing he was still pretty young when i first started following the sport and you know became a dale junior fan and he he was not great with the media he came across kind of a little bit not backwards is not the right term but he's got the super strong southern accent and he didn't like the media very much so he was awkward and that when he started this podcast he was a little bit like that too but he has completely evolved into a really, really great host and interviewer. And now, I mean, his career is in broadcasting. You know, that's what he does. And he's, he's just started doing that in the last couple of years after he retired. I think this is his third season as a broadcaster uh, and not a racer. And so he has, he's much, much better. He's become a really good interviewer. I think the reason he's as good as he is 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 because he's very passionate about the history of NASCAR. Well, NASCAR in general, but also the history of racing. He's a huge NASCAR history buff. And if you, I don't know if you've seen any clips on YouTube. They don't post the whole thing on YouTube. Only the, I think, Ask Junior section is a live stream on YouTube. But the whole podcast, they don't post it on YouTube because NBC will broadcast like highlights from it. They'll do a 30-minute version uh, and they post that or they, you know, actually air it on NBCSN. I, I think that's why they don't have it on YouTube. But now it's in this really, it built out this whole recording room that has this massive table, and he's got a lot of his NASCAR memorabilia all around the room. It's it's a real, like, super professional production, and it's come a long way since it started.
1: And since uh, in the network, I think it was, uh, what was it called? Dirty Mo? Hold on. Uh, yeah, Dirty Mo Media. Yeah, uh, Is that is that his network?
0: Yes. So Dirty Mo is what he and his buddies in high school called uh, Mooresville, which is the town in North Carolina that he's from. And for some reason, they started calling it Dirty Mo, like when they were teenagers. And so when he started this little media thing, he called it Dirty Mo Media. And now they have... I know they have at least one other podcast, but they may have two. The other one's called Door Bumper Clear, which is... Um, and I've not listened to that one very much, but it has... Um, the reason it's called Door Bumper Clear is because it's hosted by... I don't know if he's Junior's former spotter, but it's... I think the main person hosting it might be multiple people are um, former spotters, or maybe current spotters. So I don't I don't really know what that podcast is about. I haven't listened to it, but um, I am aware that, that they have that podcast on the network as well. And then they also produce... Uh, They've done short films. They're doing a series called Lost Speedways, I think, or Lost Racetracks. I think it's Lost Speedways. Anyway, basically, they're just going around the country finding all these old racetracks that have fallen. You know, they aren't being used anymore and kind of just like these ghosts of old racetracks. And it's kind of a documentary series. And I think that airs on NBC's uh, streaming network, the Peacock TV or whatever it's called. So they have a lot of different things they produce out of Dirty Mo Media. But the podcast, I think, was the start of it.
1: Yeah, and the reason why I ask because the one episode I listened to, which was, you know, again, Larry McReynolds on the 98 Daytona 500, <clears throat> I only recall that there was like one ad. And it was for a, um, I think it was like a NASCAR center or something like that. Because uh, I know down at, <clears throat> at Daytona, I believe, there's a lot of facilities there that, you know, it, it's almost kind of like a tourist attraction. And it sounded like it was an advertisement for that. I was 100% sure. But that that's what it sounded like. So I'm assuming... From that, and that was the only ad I can recognize from that. And that podcast was about an hour and a half long, maybe. And I don't recall any other ads. So is uh, is that common in this podcast to not have that many ads? Or if it is, it's more or less just like NASCAR related sponsored ads?
0: I think that episode might have been kind of a special postseason episode, maybe. Because normally there's, I think, two ad breaks and they're all Junior Reads the ads. I, I wanna say I wanna say it's usually two. I don't remember on that specific episode, but they may have just had one, maybe because they wanted to spend a little more time with Larry Mack, considering he's sort of a he's he's a highly regarded character. He's a he's been a broadcaster for Fox for years, or I should say like a commentary guy. And obviously he was Dale Sr.'s crew chief for that race or that that season. I think he was his crew chief for just like two seasons and they actually didn't get along all that great. So um, but he was the one he was the one in the chair when uh, when senior won the the 500, which is kind of the topic of that podcast. But yeah, I think technically there's usually two ad breaks. And honestly, their ads they are a little bit more professional now, but it was really hilarious even just as much as, as recently as a year ago. Because Junior, he's he's not the best at reading, like, a script. He's great when he's just talking, but when he has to read a script, like, what was it... Zip Recruiter. They had them for a while and he could never pronounce it right. It was always Zip Zip Recruiter. <laughs> so <laughs> it became like a running joke cuz he could never get it right and and the joke was I can't believe they keep coming back cuz you can't even say their name properly. So their their <laughs> their ads are kind of interactive. It's usually Dale and Mike, you know, the two of them and and they're pretty pretty entertaining, but he gets a lot of premier sponsors. So he gets a company that does like vehicle paint that a lot of the NASCAR teams use I can't remember the name of it he gets them he gets you know big auto parts the the sort of things you would expect to sponsor a NASCAR related podcast but all big kind of national companies so it's uh I mean he does get some of the typical podcast type sponsors like ZipRecruiter most of them are kind of big companies I think um Pennzoil not Pennzoil one of the oil companies like uh not it's either Quaker State or Pennzoil or one of those companies uh sponsors him frequently yeah, he gets he gets some good ads, but generally, I think it's like two ad breaks per per episode.
1: It's funny you were mentioning, you know, he's got this kind of slow country drawl, and mm-hmm. uh, this, you know, and, and a lot of the racers do. Let's be honest. And, and typically, when I listen to podcasts, I listen at you know one speed.
0: <laughs>
1: I, I can't really listen to him at much faster uh, without I can't really comprehend it. it just, like my wife can listen to uh, audiobooks at like two times speed and completely understand everything that's going on. I'm like, what um but this way I did speed up a little bit I sped it up to one and a quarter it didn't change anything because <laughs> that slow country draw just got kind of sped up to just a normal speech pattern if you will and uh, I was like oh, okay I can listen to this it's still understandable even though I increased the speed on it so I thought that was kind of funny
0: that is hilarious.
1: <laughs> and one thing I noticed that Dale had mentioned uh, is that apparently he's on Reddit a lot. Uh, yes, he is. So, because he had a big thing where he talks about it and he apparently reacts, you know, or interacts with people on Reddit, which that, that I kind of really appreciate. I, again, it comes down to, you know, I do like podcasts that want to have community and interact with their fans directly, you know, which is why I think like Unmade is good, No Dumb Questions and this, you know. And again, if I was an NASCAR fan, that would actually be like oh he uses reddit i'd probably be already looking up nascar stuff on reddit anyways but i'd be more inclined to go on reddit and actually have a chance to interact with him and talk with him and or whatever so i thought that was actually really interesting and kind of heartening to hear
0: yeah he, he gets on reddit a lot to both learn about nascar history i mean he's he is an encyclopedia of nascar history like ridiculous level so most of the time when he's on there he's just answering questions like he'll you know, in the in the NASCAR subreddit specifically, but any times anybody asks a question about you know racing history, he's probably going to be chiming in because he's he does spend some time on Reddit. Um, he's also really into iRacing, which is it's funny, it's very popular, and there are actually teams starting to scout for drivers through iRacing a little bit. I think Junior, one of his drivers for Junior Motorsports, I think came from iRacing, which is you know it's video video game racing and he's big into that and so when the whole 2020 pandemic hit he promoted it and actually convinced the networks we should air recruit some professional like some of the pros who don't already i race, especially just broadcast those races and they did that it was very weird but it was also really entertaining because some of the best drivers weren't commonly racers, and some of the ones who were did better you know than it, it just it It turned the sport on its head a little bit. It was just it was something they could do while COVID was going on and they couldn't race. And it actually they would have cameras and everything set up in their homes where they were where they were actually racing. Some of them had like really elaborate rigs, too. Yeah, It, it was it was an interesting thing that the sport itself has evolved a lot recently in the last, I'd say, eight to 10 years. They've tried out a lot of different things. They've made a lot of changes, both in terms of how. how the uh, championship works and the race schedule has been overhauled in the last couple of years. Like now they have six road courses, I think. It's it's crazy. And so a lot of people look to Junior because he's so knowledgeable about the history of the sport and how it's evolved over time. And he's very opinionated. He will share his opinion, even though he's sort of considered an ambassador for NASCAR because he was one of the most popular drivers of all time. He has no problem saying, I don't like that they're doing this, or I do like that they're doing this, but I would have changed it this way. And, you know, he's kind of a voice that NASCAR listens to and responds to because a lot of fans, you know, he's a fan of the sport, basically. So it's it's interesting as a podcast because he's not just got the perspective of a former driver, but he's also a huge fan. And I think he even likes the sport more now that he's retired. Because as a fan, he can just enjoy it and he he's enjoying the broadcasting thing. And I think that comes across a lot in the podcast, too, because early on, you know, you could tell there was episodes where he just wasn't feeling it. You know, he maybe he had a bad race or he was frustrated. And while he is a super humble guy, he also would get easily frustrated if he was having a rough, rough season or whatever. So after he's retired now, he's so much more relaxed about the whole thing, and he actually enjoys it. I think it's made the podcast a lot better.
1: Yeah, it's interesting about iRacing, because I know, you know, there's a whole subculture of people who love simulation games. Mm -hmm. And NASCAR is one of those type of games where the the games get really, they can be pretty true to life, like, it can get as technical as actually driving those race cars. And people just love that. And, And like you said, people get some really ridiculous setups for it. I mean, there's... Like Microsoft Flight Simulator, I mean, you literally can yes. learn to fly a Cessna completely, a hundred percent accurately if you set up the game to have that level of technical level to it. And people would like build these like crazy cockpit computer stations, and where it's like almost mimicking an airplane. They've got a thousand dollars worth of all these different controllers and everything to mimic what it's like inside of an airplane, other than just a joystick and pedals. So, <clears throat> and I know with NASCAR. And racing, uh, because there's also like some Le Mans games and stuff like that, or Formula One type games that are also super technical, people really get into that and they just build their whole workstation setup just for these games. And there's even a farming simulator one, which I'm dead serious. (laughs) They make controllers for it where it's like being inside of a tractor. Oh my Um, gosh. (laughs) There's trucking simulators, which is literally driving across an entire country to deliver goods in a tractor trailer. So, but people find that stuff relaxing, you know, which I guess maybe I can understand that. But but yeah, I know NASCAR is one of those big things. And that's actually really interesting that he's kind of championing the idea that if these people are really good at these games, they're getting the actual experience needed to drive a car. Now, granted, there's gonna be a lot of factors outside of that, that Mm -hmm. you just can't get with the game right? Like the temperature, the heat, you know, just there's going to be a whole physical aspect to it that I, I'm i sure most people think, oh, you're just in a car driving. A lot of these drivers are very fit. There's probably a reason why for that. So, but that is interesting that to say, hey, here's a whole pool of talent that we could tap into for, you know, race car driving. And I think that's really cool. I would actually really like to listen to, like, like he has an episode where he talks a lot about that. I would be really interested in listening to that.
0: Yeah, I would, I would check kind of early into the COVID lockdowns last year around that time because that's when mm-hmm. i racing sort of I mean he's always talked about it he's been he's been a he's been a gamer since like since he was a kid basically or a teenager anyway and honestly he was kind of a an adult child for a good portion of his adulthood too but he he is a big advocate for i racing now he's he's said the same thing essentially that a video game can't tell you if someone's going to be a great driver on the track but it can tell you when someone's got a lot of the things you look for in a driver in terms mm-hmm. of talent and that person has a probably a better chance of being developed into a, a good race race car driver and i i couldn't tell you off the top of my head which drivers are currently professionally racing who started out with i racing but there's at least a couple he he was a big champion for that he's like I, nothing is going to beat actual time on a track in a car clearly because there's things you can't simulate but it will help you kind of weed through and find people who maybe have a really good talent for driving and like you said those that i racing simulation gets super technical. You don't have to have a really great rig, but you can have a really great rig to simulate it. And you can control the setup of your car, understand kind of the physics of the vehicles, because, you know, obviously there's so many things that are adjustable within the limits that NASCAR defines on a vehicle that you can play around with that in iRacing. And so, you know, a lot of drivers, a lot of the younger ones, I think I'd say juniors out of his sort of, I don't know what you would call his class, of drivers in terms of that generation of drivers. Many of them are retired or are in the process of retiring, like Jimmy Johnson just retired. Jeff Gordon's retired. A lot of that that era, kind of the era that I got into NASCAR, a lot of those guys are retiring or are very close to. I think Clint Boyer is even retired now. Of that class, there's not as many of them that are using iRacing. Junior was sort of a, a standout in that, that respect, but a lot of the younger drivers are really into iRacing. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting thing for him to sort of champion that, even to the point where he was like, I think he was one of the ones that was promoting the idea of having iRacing sort of fill in for the broadcast schedule while they couldn't race during COVID lockdowns. So, and then they did start racing. Obviously, uh, they were able to start racing live once they had certain controls put in place and all that good stuff for social distancing and masks and tests and all that. But Um, It was an interesting year for NASCAR, for sure, and I think the podcast did a really great job of kind of focusing on what was going on in the sport, how everybody was adjusting. And like I said, a big part of the show is not just what's going on in the sport, but also the interviews, and he gets the best guests. He did, and I haven't listened to it yet, it's it's in my queue, but he did two episodes with Daryl Waltrip who has retired from broadcasting and obviously was a very prolific racer in his day. I mean, he had, you know, Larry Mack, like we talked about, you name it. And he's also had some really old retired drivers and retired crew chiefs. Um, and then also a lot of this interesting theme in the podcast. And even Mike Davis has mentioned this, that a lot of the podcast has been about Junior learning more about his father, because mm-hmm. he'll never come out and say anything negative about his father as a father. But... He's also very honest about his upbringing and his father was traveling a lot. He was racing a lot. He was focused on racing. So he wasn't exactly the most present father. And so he's learned a lot about his father through the, some of these interviews with other people who were really close to him, like Michael Waltrip and other, not just other drivers, but people who worked with him in his shop, um, people he grew up with. So it's it's an interesting thing to hear him interview somebody talking about his father and how he kind of takes in the information he learns about him. And I think Mike Davis had said at one point that a big theme in this podcast is your journey to learning more about your father. And obviously people who are fans of Dale Earnhardt Earnhardt Jr. were probably fans of his father first. So that's why he inherited so many fans once his father passed away. It's an interesting perspective on the sport. I think he has both the former race car driver perspective and then he also has just this huge fan perspective he loves the sport of NASCAR and it really comes across on the show
1: yeah and that and him trying to like learn about his father I definitely got those vibes in that episode I listened to
0: because
1: uh, mm-hmm. I mean it was a lot about his dad so and I definitely now that you mentioned that I could see that and what's interesting is the only time I've actually sat down and watched like an entire Daytona 500 from start to finish was actually the year that Dale Earnhardt died the one yeah. that he died in. So, and I remember watching that race too. And I was like, because at the last couple of laps, it was, it was real intense. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then the accident happened and I was just, you know, and, and that was kind of a brief time where I was like trying to find a sport I would like. And I was like, maybe NASCAR would be one of them, but I just, like I said, mm-hmm. never kept up with it. But yeah, no, I, I, I definitely get that vibe that he is learning a lot about his father through these interviews and, and like I said, I think I've mentioned it before, you know, he's, he seems to be a really good interviewer, but again, he can talk the language of these people. Now, if like, I don't know if Dale Earnhardt Jr. has ever been on Joe Rogan, obligatory reference. Um, he has. Okay, so he has. It's not like he can't, Joe Rogan is not going to have the NASCAR experience to ask all the really good questions. Whereas Junior will, right? Because he's an insider. And again, I'm not a big NASCAR person. But if I was big into NASCAR, I probably would really appreciate it because it seems like it, it flows well, he's, it's well-produced, he just seems kind of natural at it, and I guess that's the reason why he's doing broadcasting now. So yeah, I mean, from, a, from an objective standpoint, I don't hate this podcast. And if I liked NASCAR, I probably would love this podcast, but I'm not going to listen to it because I don't really follow NASCAR, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> I think what a lot of people... NASCAR fans are interesting because they develop loyalties to certain drivers, and when those drivers have rivals, they hate the other driver. You know, they're very passionate about it. It's like football, right? You know, you just get, it's one person instead of a team. But there's a lot of, not infighting, but the fans are just very passionate. And Junior, like I said, he sort of inherited a lot of fans from his father, and a lot of people didn't like him because he, if you weren't a Dale Jr. fan, which, he had the most fans. But if you were a fan of, say, Jeff Gordon or somebody else, you might dislike Dale Jr. or feel like, you know, well, he gets all this popularity just because of his name, where, you know, he wasn't the best racer. I mean, he was good. He he was definitely a competitor. He won a lot of races. He won two 500s. He was just like his dad. He was very good on the on the uh, super speedways. And, and if you were a fan of the sport, he might have come across as a little bit surly because he didn't like doing interviews. He hated them especially like right after the race was over. He would do them because they had to require to if you finish within a certain, I think the top five or something, you have to talk to the media. But he hated it. And it was clear that he hated it. But having watched this podcast or listened to this podcast for so long, he's actually incredibly humble and down to earth. And that makes it really enjoyable. You get a sense of just how he didn't like it because he didn't like the attention. He's just really down to earth. And And I will recommend the episode of Joe Rogan with him on it. It was after he wrote his book, because he, he left the sport because of uh, head injuries. He had multiple concussions and he was getting really bad. So he, he just retired based on that. And so the book is kind of about him learning about his head injuries and realizing that he was suffering from basically traumatic brain injuries over the years. And he was promoting the book, which is why he was on the Joe Rogan podcast. But it was, it was so interesting to read the comments on that particular episode of Joe Rogan because so many people who were fans of that show weren't NASCAR fans. But they're like, wow, this guy's really nice like he's super likable (laughs) and really they talked a lot about his dad and the book and things like that it wasn't a a nascar heavy podcast in that respect but a lot of it was about his father and his experience growing up you know the son of dale earnhardt so it's it's a really good listen I i have to recommend it but yeah as far as the rating goes obviously i like this podcast i don't hate it i've been listening to it for a while and i think it is put together really well And, you know, I just think Junior's a really engaging host, and he gets really great guests on. So if you're at all interested in the sport, I can't recommend it enough. But if you're not a NASCAR fan and you have no interest in the sport, it's probably a waste of time for you.
1: (laughs) So the next podcast we have today is the Jimmy Dore Show. Now, Jimmy Dore is a comedian, uh, but he has a podcast that is very politically... Well, I guess it's all about politics, really. Um... But Jimmy is a very interesting character. Uh, I first learned about him when I uh, heard him on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast. After listening to that, I found out he had a podcast from his interview with Joe Rogan. So I've listened to him off and on for a couple of years. Uh, So again, it's a political podcast, but the official description of it is uh, Jimmy Dore is an outrageous and outraged, which is very true. Uh, bothersome and Bothered, a crucial, profane, passionate voice for progressiveness and free thinkers in the 21st century of America. Uh, so, yeah, that's a pretty much a perfect description of who Jimmy Dore is. He is definitely passionate. And even though his show is definitely left leaning, but I think he does have some generally decent takes for his show. Uh, and I wanted to cover him simply because. You know, we've done a lot of stuff that's kind of very centrist, of course, depending on who you ask. They may say they're, it's right winged, but I feel like we needed to kind of swing a little bit more on the left here, you know, into the actual further left regions. And so I suggested this one. And what do you think? What did you think?
0: <laughs> so I thought it was interesting that description that you gave. It's actually a quote about Jimmy Dore from Patton Oswalt.
1: Oh, really? Okay. Which I thought well, was interesting. Yeah. There you, yeah. There you go.
0: And- <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so uh, he's super progressive and makes no bones about it. But what I really like about him is he's legitimately left wing. He is pro free speech. He is pro a lot of the things that are considered traditionally liberal, but aren't necessarily popular with progressives. He has a stance on most on most things that from what I can glean from the show that he is truly progressive. He believes in health care for all. Uh, kind of a Medicare for All type solution. He believes in a lot more regulation for corporations. He's not a big fan of capitalism. He actually had somebody on... So I don't know. This is what confused me. He has other people that are regularly on the show, but I don't think... I think they rotate. Because at one point he had Max Blumenthal on, I think. He had him on a couple of shows, I believe. And it really was like the Max Blumenthal show in that, that particular episode because he did all of the talking. And he... Is extremely left wing. He is way out there. And from what I could tell, I mean, he was talking about China positively and was saying things like, yeah, yeah, aside from the human rights fake news stories about China, they've got, they've eliminated poverty and all these things. I'm going, um, I don't know if you can just dismiss all of that as fake news with the Uyghurs and everything. But so that guy was a little bit fringe. But Jimmy seems to be really balanced. And I think a lot of his takes, to your point, were perfectly normal, reasonable left wing takes that didn't venture into some of the weird extremism that you see from a lot of progressives. So, and he does hold progressive leader, liberal leaders to task fairly, which I think is important. He's not happy with some of the things Biden's already doing, you know, and he's willing to talk about that. He's not one of these people who just makes excuses for Biden because now he's, you know, he's liberal. And so everything's wonderful, happy roses. You know, he doesn't like airstrikes. He doesn't want foreign, he wants us to pull out of foreign wars. So a lot of his takes... I'm on board with. So from a political perspective, I didn't find the show frustrating in the way that some shows are like, you know, listening to Dave Rubin and some of his takes I didn't like. Um, You know, some of the other podcasts we've listened to, I agree on some and not the others. And sometimes it's frustrating to listen to people who are completely opposite of your perspective on 99% of things. Um, But in this case, there is enough overlap between where I am on the political spectrum and where he is that I can listen to him on those things that even I disagree with him on because he's a reasonable, rational person. He doesn't engage in a lot of hyperbole, which is my biggest pet peeve on all of these political podcasts. I hate it. But he does he is a, not a screamer, but he is he can get a little bit fired up. Passionate, which is yeah, he's passionate, which I'm not a huge fan of, but he does it reasonably. It's not like the whole show. And we'll talk about that in some other podcasts we're going to be reviewing soon. And he intersperses it with some of the most hilarious comedy that I've heard yet on podcasts, which is those phone calls from celebrities, because whoever the guy is, I think his name is Mike McRae, maybe, who does the impersonations is fantastic. And he is hilarious. So the show is worth it just for those bits, because they are brilliantly funny.
1: Yeah, no, the one of the recent ones was the baked uh, Noam Chomsky. That had yes. me rolling. Trotsky's yes. like, what's my favorite type of potato? And Jimmy's like,
3: I don't know. <laughs> Baked.
0: <laughs> it was
3: absolutely hilarious.
0: Oh, it's so good.
3: Yeah. Very interesting. Gnome. So you're saying that the roots of Trumpism lie deep within the last 40 years of austerity politics when 50 trillion dollars was systematically transferred from the working class to the wealthy power centers.
4: Hey have you seen my zigzags? <laughs>
3: your zigzags? You mean your rolling papers? No, I haven't.
4: Are, are you certain of this, Jimmy?
3: <laughs> yes, I don't even know how to use rolling papers.
4: You never you never know what you'll want to roll up, Jimmy. Ask me what my favorite day of the week is. Oh God.
3: I don't know. What's your favorite day of the week, Noam? Mm, uh, uh, weeds Day.
4: <laughs> now ask me why Weeds Day is my favorite day of the week.
3: Why is Weeds Day? <laughs> I don't want I don't want to ask you that. Do it. all right why is weeds day your favorite day of the week
4: because it's got the word weed in it. Weed's day. It's like the name of the week only refers to weed. I exploited the ambiguities derived from the figurative language to produce an amusing variant hybrid that is neither solely a pun nor a malapropism. <laughs> Weed's day.
3: Jesus Christ. This would be so awesome if it was real... I, I don't want to talk about weed right now, Noam. Can we just stick to the politics, please?
4: I'm sorry, of course. This is your venue, and you have every, <laughs> every right to set the parameters. But first, ask me what my favorite kind of potato is.
3: What? <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that.
4: B- baked. <laughs> Are you sure you don't have uh, uh, zigs at your place?
3: Hey, President Joe Biden's on the phone. Hello.
5: Firstly, I'm on the phone. And second, I'm Joe Biden. But you can call me Joe Biden. (laughs) Hey, guess what? What? I'm going to have to circle back on that one. (laughs) And when I do, I'll be able to unpack it. (laughs) Poor <laughs> you a little better. But I appreciate it. Great question.
3: Hey, I didn't ask you anything.
5: Happy Groundhog's Day, man.
3: <laughs>
5: this the day is that all groundhogs celebrate the freedoms that our great nations bestowed upon them of. It's great melting pot of people.
3: Hey, hey, people are saying your foreign policy isn't going to be any different than Trump's. How do you respond to that?
5: I cut the crap, man. (laughs) I had to send our troops into Syria so you wouldn't come here. Yeah. You wouldn't want our troops coming here, would you? Yeah. Fucking boots everywhere. Jeez. Bunch of sleeping bags in our parking (laughs) garages. Simple as that, Simon. Get with it.
3: And what about Venezuela, Joe?
5: Will you shut up? I never touched her.
1: (laughs) Yeah, those and he does a couple of them per episode. It seems like, you know, there's two or three here and there, Um, Mm -hmm. except in where he has episodes where he's doing uh, it's some interview episodes. He won't like Tim Pool was on there once. I don't know, over a year ago, maybe. And there wasn't really any of those calls breaking in uh, into it. But interesting that you mentioned Dave Rubin. And if Jimmy, if you ever hear this, I know you're going to hate this comparison, but there's kind of weird similarities between him and Dave Rubin and the fact that they have a common thread with the Young Turks. And Jimmy has been on the Young Turks a lot, and he's called out some of those people on the Young Turks before because they can get super hyperbolic. And that's a whole other episode, but he mingles a lot with the people on the left. And he will have those super crazy types on there. And I I don't think he always challenges them that much either. Uh, There are times where he can kind of call out some people, but it's usually he doesn't really call them out in their face. Like he'll say, oh, I'm going to call, you know, he'll do it on a show in a bit or whatever. He's like, you know, oh, Anna Kasparian said this crazy thing. I'm going to call her out on it right now. But if he had her on her show, he's not going to call her out to her face. Right. Which, you know, there's probably a good reason for that. You don't want, like, to create this weird argument on air. Where Dave, again, he's kind of like the more right version of somebody who came out of the Young Turks, but he just kind of mingles with people on the right. And, again, I I think Dave doesn't really call out anybody either who may have a view that's, you know, maybe more of an extreme right-wing view. So he kind of has guests within that kind of leftist sphere, uh, and some of them will be crazy leftists, like, you know, trying to say that China's some great thing. I mean, that's... (laughs) There's a lot of arguments to be made against that. Um, But like you said, Jimmy, he's kind of a two issue voter, I I think, generally. One is healthcare for all. Mm -hmm. And his other one's war. Like he wants to be put out of war. And the candidates who are really big into that, things like AOC or Bernie Sanders, he he supports them because they support what he wants. But like you said, he, he will call them out. Like he had a whole episode where it was just him ranting about AOC because of some of the dumb stuff she did. And uh, he was a big Tulsi fan uh, back during the Democratic primaries for uh, the mm-hmm. 2020 election.
0: Before she and, got torpedoed by the Democrats.
1: <laughs> right, exactly. Which he hates that. And that's the thing, it's like he hates the establishment on both sides. That's his big thing. He's a very anti establishment kind of person. And again, his takes, like you said, they're not terrible takes. And I could see how somebody can logically conclude or come to those conclusions that he comes to. I may not agree with it, but I can understand how someone gets to some of the, you know, the solutions that he gets to. But I think his biggest thing is he, he hates the establishment, you know, as far as the media, he hates the media. He hates the media. Uh, He hates any kind of censorship. So that means like the whole cancel culture thing. He's just like completely against that. He's completely against, you know, books being banned, stuff like that, which the super crazy people, uh, and you'll see it on both sides. uh, You know, they want to cancel certain publications for whatever reason he's completely against that. And because of that, because I disagree with him, I can respect him and I can enjoy his show, right? Because it does give me a different perspective on things. And and I think that's healthy. I think a lot of people don't choose to not do that on purpose because they want confirmation bias. They want an echo. They want their, their echo chambers. They want this little bubble uh, that they mm-hmm. just want to stay in and be comfortable in. And Jimmy, he's not really that person, right? I mean, he, you're, unless you're like a centrist kind of person who you're like i got some right-leaning stuff some left-leaning stuff you're going to be able to enjoy his podcast because there are going to be things you agree with there are going to be things you disagree with but i think he's a faithful actor in this in the discussions that are going on which i think is the most important thing is if there's somebody i can completely disagree with but they're a faithful actor in whatever conversation they're having i'm willing to listen to them And I think that's the problem with some people who are on the extreme left or the extreme right. They're not faithful actors. And of course, the establishment, we could see the Democratic, uh, the DNC, you know, like you said, they torpedoed Tulsi and they torpedoed Bernie in 2016. They're not faithful actors in that. And he hates that. And one of the most recent episodes I listened to actually had Glenn Greenwald on, who, again, he's also very progressive. But again, he's... He's got good takes on stuff, especially when it comes to freedom of speech, freedom of the press, and calling out just how bad the media is. And so that was actually a really, really good uh, interview. I, I guess if you heard the bake Chomsky uh, thing, you probably heard that interview.
0: Yep. Yeah, I did. I did listen to that episode because I was aware of who Glenn Greenwald is. So I thought it'd be interesting to hear him on a show being interviewed by somebody who's super progressive. And, you know, I think a lot of people on the left, well... I hate the term the left because it's such a broad range, right? It yeah. encompasses the same thing on the right, right? You have people who are centrists. You have people who are progressive but not weirdly. Like the extreme progressives who want to shut down all dissent and have no other voices in the room. I disagree with that perspective on both ends, right? I don't like it on either side. And so Glenn Greenwald is one of those who's taken a lot of heat from his own party, from other progressives, because he's not willing to say that we should silence people make make it impossible for them to speak and you know he's a big proponent of Edward Snowden and pardoning like the characters like Julian Assange and others who have uh, as far as I know I believe the Democrats also like the, the establishment Democrats the DNC itself is of the position that Julian Assange should be extradited and prosecuted and there's those on the left who will support that because it is the party stance even if it's doesn't fit in with their beliefs of freedom of speech and freedom of journalism. I like that he is unapologetically true to where he stands on things, regardless of what the popular take is on it, even among his own kind of left side of the aisle. And one of his most recent episodes, he was calling out Jenk uh, from the Young Turks talking about the whole Near Tandon nomination and how problematic it is. Yeah, okay, she's, she's on the left, but she's, Part of the war machine. You know, she's part of a lot of the things that if you're truly progressive, you stand against. And so I just think it's, I like to hear voices on both sides that will call out the BS and hypocrisy on both sides. And there's not a lot of them out there. I think in podcast land, there are more, but you don't see it in regular media. You certainly don't see it among the politicians. You know, they're going to tow the party line. They're going to toe the speaking points that are approved by the party lines. And so it is refreshing to be able to listen because I would listen. I mean, I'm sort of giving away my my review here, but I would listen to this episode like this show on the regular and I plan on it because it's a really good perspective on truly progressive issues and and he he isn't to your point he's a faithful actor i don't have to worry that his opinion is one that was given to him or forced on him by you know party politics he's gonna say what he actually thinks i like that a lot and again i I think the comedy breaks also make it very valuable (laughs) like it is really enjoyable (laughs) to listen to because i just i can't get every single time. Whoever is calling in, quote unquote, whether it's Brad Pitt or Joe Biden or um, Bernie, Sanders, the Bernie ones are also hilarious because the guy, the guy who's an impressionist, he is so good. He just nails. I mean, Bernie Sanders is kind of an easy one to impersonate, I think. But oh, they're so they're so hilarious. He did Rick Perry after the whole Texas thing. Oh man, <laughs> it was it was so good. So yeah, I have to say I'm really impressed with both the comedy aspects and the actual. The actual uh, discourse that's happening on the show,
1: yeah, and that's the thing is like he he uh, he goes on both sides. Uh, He attacks both sides. Fair, it seems almost fairly consistently. I mean, let me let me rephrase that. Not not consistently. He attacks both sides equally, right? It doesn't it doesn't feel like that he's mostly attacking people on the right or the ideas presented by the right, and occasionally you know calling out some hypocrisy on the left. It seems to be pretty. Even handed, really, you know, his criticisms and and, and to kind of go to your point that one of the things I do value for about him is that he has his principles and he sticks to those principles. And those principles don't change depending on who's in office. And right. that's super refreshing because, like you're saying, you know, you get these people who are just they're completely anti-war, but, you know, they thought Trump was like, you know, authoritarian dictator type of person. But they're anti-war. But then a month in, Biden starts launching missile strikes in Syria, and they're doing these mental gymnastics to kind of say, "Well, this time yes. it's actually a good thing, right?" Yes. Where Jimmy, on the other hand, he's going to be like, "Screw this, Biden! What 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 the hell are you doing? Why we don't want this?" And so he's willing to call out his own party, you know, whenever they do this kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, I really, really hate that. That's where we're at as a as a culture, where because. guys on your side of the aisle and he's doing the exact same thing the guy on the other side of the aisle that you condemned was doing it's okay now like that disingenuous oh the excuse making is just it's unfathomable to me so i i appreciate anybody who is not going to just toe the party line and who is going to call out both their own side as well as the opposite side now granted I listened to recent episodes, because not the political podcast, you know, what's the point of listening to something from two years ago? But I'm sure when Trump was in office, he had plenty to say about Trump and the conservatives and the Republican Party in general, some of which I'm sure was very deserved. <laughs> but in the recent episodes, obviously he's been focused on what's currently going on, which are things like the Neera Tandon nomination and some of the other things that are currently happening, you know, now that the Democrats are in control of both the, the House and Senate. I find it interesting that it seems like right now he's very much sort of calling out those on the left that are in power who are not doing what he would want or expect of them based on being a progressive and and i think it was the leader of the justice democrats or the founder i should say of the justice democrats who came out in support of nero tanden and was like we just need to approve we need to get moving forward and she was making all the excuse about why they should support near Tandon's nomination that's exactly the sort of thing that people want from the justice democrats is is the opposite of that right they don't want to tow the stupid party line and support these candidates who are pro-war and who have a history of being pro-war and being in the pocket of
1: the military-industrial wow. complex.
0: Yes, thank you. The military-industrial complex. <laughs> That's driving me crazy. Um, yeah, who are supporting the military-industrial complex and have made money from from that part of the um, part of Washington. So I think to see that sort of honesty is super refreshing. And it makes the podcast feel very, I feel like, like you said, he's a faithful actor. I feel like I could trust him and his takes on things to be honest and truthful and not coming from a place of, well, that's what the talking point is for the blue side. So I must say that, you know, that's, that's really cool that he, he's like that. Yeah.
1: I mean, he, he's basically immune. Well, I wouldn't say immune, but he doesn't f- fall into the trap of tribalism. Yeah. Because uh, that's one of the big things about modern politics right now is the whole tribalism thing. And a lot of people are just tired of it. And he, he yeah. doesn't really fall into that trap. And one of the interesting things was that, you know, back during 2016, when that election was happening between Hillary and Trump, he hated everybody. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, it's like I would prefer Bernie Sanders, you know, the millionaires, billionaires, Bernie Sanders. But he, he still he hated Hillary for all the same reasons, you know, corporate Democrat warmongering. He's like, I don't want to be in war with Russia. And he hated Trump because it's Trump. Right. Um, but again, there's a lot of the conservative things, you know, about conservatives that he just doesn't like either. So even though he probably calls himself a progressive, I wouldn't say he's like a super far lefty though. Right. He's just, I I would say he's kind of left of center because you could be a centrist and still say, well, I want healthcare for all. Um, or say, Hey, I don't want to be in wars anymore. And so I, I don't, I don't really see him being someone that's like super far on the left toward the point that they're kind of blinded by, you know, they fall into the trap of tribalism. So, right. yeah, I mean, I I appreciate his opinion, even though I disagree with it. But I like hearing how he came to those conclusions because it gives perspective on topics that I may not have, uh, which is something I really value because like anybody else, I'm still trying to figure out where how to apply my political decisions based on my principles. And that's that's stuff you have to work out on your own. It takes time and effort to think that stuff through. And so it's interesting to hear how some of these people do that. And and, and what's funny is that even though I'm maybe in the center, maybe just to the right of center, most of the political commentators that I appreciate the most are people who are left of center. Jimmy Storer, the Weinsteins. uh, Lex Frieden doesn't really get... Political, but I would say he's probably in that same sphere as well. You know, I, like I'm not a fan, a fan of Ben Shapiro or Dave Rubin, which they're obviously, you know, they're definitely not. S- Even though Dave says he's kind of an enlightened centrist, he's moved, I think, more to the right finally. But a lot of these people I appreciate the most—they're fairly left. I mean, like the Weinstein brothers, they're they're progressives, but yep. again, they don't fall into the trap of tribalism, just like Jimmy Dore is. Jimmy Dore is a little bit more bombastic than they are and more angry. Than and they are because uh, Jimmy's kind of famous for just getting angry and going on rants and stuff.
3: Breaking Iraqi parliament votes to remove U.S. troops from Iraq. She tweets out which entities wants American troops totally removed from Iraq, Iran and ISIS. So she's always pro war. Do you get you catch on this? Oh, if you're if you're for us pulling out of Iraq, you must be on the side of ISIS. Do you see the kind of person she is? And here's she's in lockstep with Bill Crystal. He says serious conservatives, responsible moderates, and hard-headed liberals should want a tough-minded OMB head. OMB is where cabinet secretaries' ill-considered projects go to die, where programs are evaluated, where trade-offs are made. Nera Tanden is the right person for the job. Wow. Reminder that Bill Crystal <laughs> and the neocons are always wrong about everything. Congress should investigate Noura Tandon's ties to foreign governments, especially to the United Arab Emirates, which gave Tandon's organization millions of dollars year after year during its war with Yemen. What was that money buying? Here's Noura Tandon. This is she did this a week bef- before the election. She tweets this out. That this letter has been written by so many I admired, including John LeCare, Oz Cottery, and Tom Holland. It's a tragedy. Labor's anti-Semitism problem should have been rooted out long ago. So she's pretending that Jeremy Corbyn, so she, there she is undermining progressives. That's what that is. She's smearing them as anti-Semites. That's, that's, her, that's what she does. Never forget that as narratan and spent the last few months hysterically browbeating everyone on the left to vote for Joe Biden because lesser evilism she posted this just 4 days before the UK's general election these vile ghouls have no principles only interests
1: but yeah so anyways it's a good podcast I, when I listen to it he, I, he He's kind of independent right? He doesn't have his own network or anything There's some YouTube elements to his podcast as well So you can go and listen to clips from his show And stuff like that on YouTube uh, Some of his interviews is also going to be on YouTube And since he's independent I don't, He doesn't really have any ads But he does have a, Like a premium membership type of situation It's kind of similar to I guess Babylon B had like their premium membership thing And uh, Steven Crowder yeah. Which uh, I know we're going to have to review that one day and I'm not looking forward to that one You know, he's got his Mug Club, which is premium (laughs) membership. So he's kind of going that route for monetization. It doesn't seem like he's very
0: ad heavy. Yeah, it looks like a lot of these types of podcasts. I think if you're going to be a political podcast, it does seem to be the trend that listener support is the way to monetize because you might get some ad revenue. Well, nobody counts on YouTube anymore for ad revenue, especially if you're going to talk politics. But uh, he does do kind of the, the model of there's a premium membership. If you pay that, you get to listen to parts of the podcast you can't hear otherwise. At the end of the podcast, they'll be like, oh, if you want to hear the rest of that phone call from a celebrity, as well as additional parts of the show where they interact with the listeners, where they, you know, they answer questions, they keep all of that behind the paywall. So it gives you incentive. I mean, you can listen without having the membership, obviously, but there's, there's more content if you join the membership. And so I've, I'm seeing more and more as we've been reviewing these, that does seem to be a model that's really viable for a way to monetize your podcast when you're talking politics. Because if you're talking politics, a lot of companies are going to be, I'm staying away from you with a 10, you know, I'm not going to touch you with a 10 foot pole, because there's just the possibility of somebody saying something that's going to piss somebody somewhere off. And all the the advertisers are just terrified of that. So
1: well, I think I think you might be surprised on how some of the really far left podcasts get big corporate sponsorships, so... Well, Jimmy Dore doesn't fall, like I say, he doesn't fall in that tribalism trap, so he has a possibility of pissing off somebody, whereas somebody who just tows the party line, they're not going to piss off people to where they're going to get this, like, cancel culture mob coming after the advertisers and stuff, so I would say people like Jimmy Dore is probably, to your point, not safe for advertisers simply because... He hates everybody. (laughs)
0: Right. Yeah. And the podcast is, I mean, well, and what's interesting is you say he rants and raves sometimes and he's, you know, he's pissed off and he does. But what I find interesting is his rants are him yelling facts, not yelling. He doesn't get super bombastic. He is bombastic, but it's not, I don't know. It's hard to explain. (sighs) Somebody, and and we haven't done the podcast yet. We're we're in the process of of reviewing the Young Turks, but there's, there's, there's the type of outrage where it's very it feels kind of this is how I'm supposed to be I'm supposed to be yelling a lot and I'm supposed to be along with the yelling and the ranting comes a lot of hyperbole and a lot of broad sweeping generalizations and really kind of nasty hateful type of language And I don't mean curse words I mean like saying that everybody on that side of the aisle is evil, or they're all Nazis, or anybody who voted for Trump is an idiot, you know, that those kind of sweeping broad statements that just include the, you know, kind of enforce the tribal ideas. When he's ranting, he's like, when he was ranting about Niritanda, and he was he was listing all of these things about her that are true. He was mad about them. And he was definitely ranting. But he was just listing all these facts about her, like why she is not a progressive, and she shouldn't be in that position at the OMB. So I found it interesting because I, I, there's definitely a little bit more on the comedy side, right? They'll kind of go and 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 in some of those comedy bits, of course, because it's comedy, it's it's over the top in some cases. But as far as what he actually is saying, I don't recall in the episodes I listened to, and I say I listened to like four or five episodes. I don't recall him saying anything that was either untrue or was just a, a an opinion statement that was. That was like a sweeping generalization, you know, like everything he was ranting about were things that were just facts and why he doesn't like those facts, right? You know, why they're pissing him off. (laughs) So while he is kind of loud, which is not my favorite thing, I'll be honest, I didn't get that sense that he was foaming at the mouth ridiculous about it. Like the way your Rush Limbaugh's of the world and some of those other kind of talk radio types, you know, Al Franken's where they're screaming and yelling about stuff that's just, and just spewing stuff that doesn't even have any reality to it or doesn't have any basis in fact just you know that's the kind of crap that I hate in political podcasts and unfortunately a lot of them have it but he doesn't really engage in that much every time he was ranting he was just saying I don't like this person because uh, for this position because the the Center for American Progress here's its track record and she ran the show there and you know like I don't know I it just it didn't feel like the kind of bloviating." That you hear a lot on podcasts, on political podcasts especially.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, again, it's just somebody who's passionate about what he's talking about. And he just mm-hmm. gets, you know, he gets revved up about it. Now, the one of the benefits of the podcast is that it doesn't really have a really long run long time. It's about an hour, hour and a half uh, each episode. And he only uploads once a week. So there's not like this huge dedication of a daily hour long podcast or two to three times a week. So uh, as far as reviews go, I don't hate it. Uh, I don't listen to him. I don't listen to every new episode, but I kind of keep an eye on it and say, oh, this sounds interesting, and I'll start listening to it. Uh, and again, when it comes to political news, it's like the news cycle is so fast these days, like literally 24 hours, something is old news. I, I think it's it's well produced. His, his skits are funny, you know, and like I said, I kind of appreciate his point of view. And I have to thank Joe Rogan for finding because I probably never would have heard of him. Well, I, by this point, I probably would have. But, but yeah, he's, he's a funny guy, so uh, I don't hate the podcast at all.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't hate it either. I I think I like to try if I'm going to listen to political podcasts, which now we sort of have to for this podcast. I think this is definitely one that I would I will keep in my bucket of ones that I find valuable because, again, I think it comes down to I want to listen to voices on both sides, but I want those voices to be rational, truthful voices. And there's not that many of them that fit that category. So, you know, I'm not going to listen to Dave Rubin or Ben Shapiro. I haven't, I haven't listened to Stephen Crowder. I've heard a few episodes of Stephen Crowder's before in the past and tried to listen, them that, that's one that mm, will get there, I'm sure. But, you know, this is this is one of the ones I want to have on my left side of the aisle podcast listening because, again, I think he's, he's honest, he's truthful. I don't feel like he's going to be swayed by party politics. He's not going to say things just because that's the accepted narrative that's being force-fed down everybody's throat via the media. So... I really like that about him. And uh, yeah, and it's really funny. Like, (laughs) even just for the comedic parts of the podcast, it's worth listening to, in my opinion. (laughs) So yeah, so I don't hate this one either. Have thoughts you want to share? Send us an email at whyihateyourpodcast at gmail.com or visit our website at whyihateyourpodcast.com. You can also find us at hate your podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Our intro transition and outro music is by Kevin McLeod and licensed under creative commons. Please see the show notes for details.